Welcome back to The Plunge. It's a brand new episode. I'm Dan, joined by Sam, our, you know, our Washington correspondent. He doggedly uh, lives in the Washington, D.C. area. So, you know, uh, that means basically you're a journalist, right? I mean, I'm traumatized daily by the things I witness go, walking around downtown D.C. and where I live out in the burbs. So for sure. I mean, I, I suffer for the art. Did you face any attacks from rabid Pete Budigag fans? No, not today. I, I know that in D.C. you really can't play that with anybody because they gen- like genuinely the entire city, if it was put to an election tomorrow, would vote for Booty Judge. Well, you know, that that's a segment of the population that fortunately, you know, it doesn't represent, I think, most uh, people who are left of center. And, you know, we see Joe Biden uh, cratering under the pressure to not bring up his chummy relationships with segregationists. I mean, even Cory Booker uh, owned him about that. And if you have you know, lost the high ground and and gotten owned by Cory Booker, you are truly a a sad, sad candidate. Well, we have to remind everyone that Joe Biden is like an Olympic athlete when it comes to messing up, you know, primaries. So hopefully he will find a way to fuck this one up as well. And we will wipe him off the map and clear the board for our man, Bernie. And let's get into today's main topic. The far right uh, YouTube scene we're talking about today. So, Sam, why is this particularly relevant? There's a lot of ways we could take this conversation, but, you know, there's been a lot of news relevant to this lately. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like this has been really kind of on our radar because... In June of this year, it's kind of become this massive controversy. On June 5th, YouTube announced plans to remove videos and channels that were advocating, quote-unquote, hateful and supremacist content. Uh, Notice they say supremacist instead of white supremacist, which is, you know, the actual problem. But uh, either way, it's become kind of a national news story. All these young people who watch YouTube videos and find themselves recommended videos about far-right race science theories after, you know, I guess getting into some gaming videos or some tutorial or other. And there's maybe a lack of understanding of how this machine kind of works because it is mostly adults interpreting this. And this is really a problem that affects young people, I think. And specifically, I mean, YouTube for people under 24, it's like 95% of the of the social media they use is YouTube. It's uh, wildly popular and it obviously like a lot of the things we're going to describe, very innocuous videos that are indeed intended for children can lead them into I guess these far right rabbit holes and it's something that I think there's a lot of pressure against effectively solving this problem and there's a lot of facets to it so i think it's like relevant it's something we should definitely get into and something that will come up again and again is the victim complex of the right-wing youtubers and how 
any action like this is straight up a declaration of like oh youtube is like full-on marxists like that it's somehow like an extremely left-wing sector in tech that is controlling and and shadow banning these right-wing voices when all the data points to the opposite is true they put a magnifying glass in these personalities and keep recommending and auto-playing their videos and making them millionaires yeah so specifically the thing that all the right-wing youtube racists were up in arms about was this june 5th declaration when youtube said it would specifically prohibit videos that were alleging that any group of people is superior in order to justify discrimination segregation or exclusion and um, it also said that it would try to take down videos or not have videos recommended that denied that well-documented violent events like the Holocaust or shooting at Sandy Hook took place. And it would also try to prevent people from being recommended videos about like phony medical cures or flat earthers. Even it's specifically mentioned, which I don't think is really the same thing. I mean, I I think the first thing is much worse. The videos that are, claiming that you know white people are inherently superior to other races or claiming that feminism is an evil ideology and that women are brainwashed by it like all this kind of like genuinely hateful stuff that is kind of supported by deep-pocketed financiers and so i I don't know the what are the origins dan of like the far-right youtube world as we know it today it's this intersection of a ton of different sort of I think, like, disparate groups, maybe there's some, like, overlap on the Venn diagram here, but to name a few, we have Gamergate, which is the, uh, I I guess it, it all started over a debate about, like, women characters in video games being too, too, like, uh, sexy all the time, and, uh, like, women, like, invading the male space of um uh women like gamers invading the space that was previously a male space was their like perception so it was this like misogynist (laughs) culture yeah i mean they basically were the men involved in the gamergate gamergate i think refers to like the you know the reaction to i guess video games being more inclusive for women, more women playing video games and being in like online spaces. And I think the term dates back to only a few years ago to like 2014. And the gaming gamer gators, the people who wanted to, you know, react against this trend, they feel like sort of like you said, women are invading the space. And also that video games are being too PC and like female characters have smaller titties or something like that. It's genuinely like very bizarre, but I think it, it's kind of key because it connects the right wing and the gaming culture. And a lot of the kids that we are going to talk about later on get indoctrinated to these right wing ideas by watching simple gaming tutorials. And a lot of gaming YouTubers these days, like Keemstar and stuff, regularly shout out right wing pundits or, you know, especially like PewDiePie has become kind of a right wing, you know, free speech issue because he was banned from YouTube. One, He was previously like the most popular YouTuber and he did most video game playthroughs and um people of course went nuts and said it's like a free speech issue and he had been i guess making problematic jokes about like jews and stuff like that but i think gamergate is a key part of this 
it's a very like clear gateway uh, with help from that algorithm. But uh, other origins of the kind of right wing YouTube culture, we have the pickup artist, Sam. Uh, what is the thing? It's the red pill. Yeah, yeah. There's kind of I mean, incels have been in the news lately. I think this is kind of similar to this. They incels because they are you know physically different from the chad bros who have sex and have normal relationships Incels obviously involuntarily celibate men who want to have sex but cannot and um they believe that the reason they don't have sex is because of like their skull shape literally or stupid things like that but they also come up with this whole red pilling ideology which is when you realize that having that dating and sex is purely based on your bone structure apparently and uh a lot of these people turn to pickup artistry because pickup artistry you're not relying on the normal or or what they think are the normal ways that people you know meet women or have sex it would based on their appearance you trick women basically using these pickup artist scripts into you know accepting to have sex with you and obviously it's very fucked up that they view sex as something to be given by women to men but i mean this is far from the worst ideology you're going to hear on this youtube trip some of the other like things you might that are seem kind of innocuous bodybuilding forums that's connected to the incel culture as well this idea that if you just lift weights or something you can overcome your disgusting facial bone structure but i'll you see a lot of reactionary i guess takes and forums on bodybuilding websites and i think on the left also there's a little bit of of origins for this youtube phenomenon definitely like those new atheism debate videos like what richard dawkins or like christopher hitchens destroying some you know person who believes in god or even like liberals like bill maher or something like his movie religious or i guess people have been definitely posting youtube videos that are him taking down some you know religious person on his tv show or something like that you can probably speak more on that yeah i i mean you know we all know the issues with bill maher's new atheism his brand of it you know it's very like reactionary i I think it's like it's clear that it's kind of based on knee-jerk opinions about you know a very much like straw man portrait of like what a religious person is from not just muslims but you know christians as well but for sure it mostly like the new atheists when they're critical of religion they're frequently like sam harris or something like that very critical of islam specifically and they think that islam is specifically more violent than all the other religions and that that's why like terrorism happens and so obviously this is sort of compatible with the right wing and i guess some of the other things like irony racism in like the 2000s was kind of a dominant thing in comedy and a lot of people took it seriously didn't see any irony in it and a lot of people making the irony humor didn't see how it could have been taken seriously so that kind of contributed to i guess this like subculture and it drove dave Chappelle crazy I mean you know that's oh, what that's yeah. why he quit his show because it, it it was uh you know he he was doing these like subversive sort of sketches but all the worst people were interpreting them uh you know as just uh literal so they thought it was okay that they used certain words or said certain things right some people didn't get the joke with irony racism and you know some of the people making those ironic racist jokes were just being racist anyway well, sure there's but, like plenty of south park type humor in you know sure. in that category as well 
And I, of course, also this mixes with like more traditional elements of the right wing. I mean, like conspiracy videos or for like standard conservatism, even just like racism, xenophobia, sexism, homophobia, transphobia. Those didn't go away and obviously are like fairly dominant reactionary trends of thought. So it was easy for more fringe stuff like gaming or bodybuilding th- interests to get turned into or turned on to kind of more standard conservatism. But there's also something with like forum culture and maybe YouTube videos in general, where it's a lot about, you know, arguing and getting more like you're not relying on, I guess, mainstream news. You're relying more on like people, average people creating content. You a lot of times think that those people are more trustworthy than like mainstream outlets. And I think that this kind of fuels this kind of create the crazier elements of right-wing youtube as well yeah even this week uh ross anthony farca was a uh man in the bay area who had his plot to shoot up a synagogue foiled uh he was planning on wearing a nazi uniform and it came out that he was a huge supporter of red dice tv a Swedish neo-Nazi alt-right YouTube channel that has a ton of subscribers, over 300,000. So I, I I can't ignore these stories when they happen this often. Yeah, this has crossed over to the mainstream, sort of like, you know, it's related to other right-wing fringe elements of the internet, like QAnon that we've discussed previously on the show. And I think in general, a lot of people are coming in contact with this first person, which is truly bizarre. I mean, you'll walking down the street, you'll hear people talking about like the deep state and shit like that. So I guess either way, what we're discussing in the show is the phenomenon during which young people are quickly led from like niche videos, gaming videos, tutorials, et cetera, to maybe some self-help videos because they're lonely to all of a sudden they're watching like alt light videos intellectual dark web these are the kind of mid-tier guys who are open to the more fringe far right race science or uh you know anti-feminist trends of thought but they usually couch it in some term of like i'm a classical liberal or i'm just trying to hear both sides or something but they're obviously like a lot more deferential to one side and they buy into a lot of the narratives that the far right is oppressed specifically some of the people i'm thinking of around this are dave rubin um who dan you can you want to go into who dave rubin is for the uninitiated you know like many of these youtube personalities he's a failed comedian uh who has this kind of broadcasting career that started at the Young Turks, which he quit, and I guess he had some weird falling out there, but Dave Rubin seems like an extremely dumb guy, right? Like, his whole his whole thing is that he had to leave, like, the left and is now this, like, centrist, like, really, like, down-the-middle thinker, a, a, like, a classical liberal, I think, like you said, and you know he has this large youtube channel where he basically just platforms all the like fash like you know morons that come into the news cycle anyone that generates an outrage cycle on twitter you can be sure that dave rubin will have them on to make 
straw man arguments and basically be told to his face that he's barely human as Ben Shapiro did when he said that he would not go to Dave Rubin's wedding or what was something about it. Yeah, Dave Rubin is gay. And oh yeah, I should have said that. A big that, part but... of his a big part of his appeal, like you said, is that he is like, I used to be a liberal, but they turned me off with their social justice warrior stuff. And he uses a lot of times the fact that he is gay or that he, you know, used to work for the Young Turks to, I guess, kind of like almost in like a very cowardly way, dodge the accusation that he is far right. If you ever call him a right wing guy, he tends to get very offended. And I think he's kind of indicative of how a lot of this works. A lot of these people who get sucked into like these far right videos and lines of thought end up, and they, they sort of at the end of the day, they they think they start out liberal. They think they're still being liberal and that they're nice people or concerned with social justice broadly, but that, you know, these are the people who are telling ideas that they find seductive. And of course, I think it just talks to a lot of the latent like racism that they have anyway, or, you know, sexism or homophobia. But I guess yeah, that's sort of a way that this shit gets away with continuing to exist. You know, some other people on this level, I would say are like, you know, Gavin McInnes had this kind of veneer of being uh, the, one of the founders of Vice magazine who became who then founded the Proud Boys, which is kind of like a right wing social group for Western minded men or whatever. But they, he kind of had this veneer of being like a Brooklyn hipster or like a, a guy that liberals could get along with. But, you know, you, it's just another viewpoint you have to consider. And maybe someone else on this level that you're a big fan of, Dan, is Joe Rogan. All right, like, big fan, we can pump the brakes <laughs> on a little bit. Okay. Listen, I... You're a bigger fan than I am. <laughs> well, no, I work in comedy. I have to kind of, uh, you know, I work in, like, comedy radio, so you kind of can't ignore the influence Joe Rogan has he is, you know, uh, the like number one charting podcast every week, and he's huge on YouTube. He streams the, the show live on YouTube every day. A spot on his show as a comedian can kind of like make your career. However, uh, and again, like I, I don't really watch him too, too much anymore. I, I you know, he does like three hours of most shows, and it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, I get it at this point, <laughs> but, um, I sympathize with the opinion that maybe the, like, uh, articles saying that Joe Rogan is, like, alt-right aren't quite fair. However, uh, he platforms a lot of, you know, most of these people we're going to talk about. He has them on his show and gives them an uncritical platform and... His audience is enormous, and to have on those that and under the guise again of a sort of like I'm very open minded and I want to hear all positions, but she, she doesn't really have a ton of left wing guests, and every right wing freak is a frequent guest on the show. So, what does that tell you? It, it certainly doesn't speak. Uh, to me, that Joe Rogan is prioritized uh, his like left liberal ideas. I feel like there is this perception in L.A. and in just I guess comedy people in general have this skewed perception. I guess that comedy is up against this 
rising social social justice warrior culture and that free speech is under attack. I mean, we saw the like Nick DiPaolo debacle where his new special, uh, you know, he released art where he was like giving the middle finger to a Black Lives Matter uh, activist who had been uh, dead for several months. There is this sense among a lot of these guys who've been around for a while that that the left is silencing them and taking over. And to be honest with you, it's not all that different from the sort of rhetoric used by the way farther right people that these people like Joe Rogan and like Dave Rubin, to give them the charitable benefit of the doubt, maybe they don't even realize how fucking stupid they sound. Yeah, for sure. And they, I think the way this works is that they, when you you start to see, I guess, them have these more right-wing guests on, then you watch these more right-wing guys' shows, they've got guests who are just outright race scientists or people who are into, like, phrenology or something like that, and then all of a sudden you're watching their videos, and it's sort of like a frog in boiling water, like, especially for white people or, or white men, and I think a lot of these people, even though there are men of color who do this, it's overwhelmingly men, and it's overwhelmingly white people, and for when, when people are saying racist stuff and you're white, you it, it, you just accept it as, I don't know, like, I don't accept it, I think it's bad, obviously, but it's easier for white people to hear stuff about race science and be like, huh, well, I guess it's just a science, isn't it? Because it's not explicitly saying, you know, white people are dumb, and frequently these people will actually say that, you know, Jews or Asians are smarter based on race science. Either way, we'll get into that later, but that's sort of how this works. It's like, a, it, it eases people into these ideas, and the mechanics of YouTube's recommendation algorithm actually favor this, and it's you're kind of in, it's kind of a natural process when you're watching the, sh- the channels, unless, you know, you specifically Typically want to avoid it but i think a lot of people have never heard of these types of you know creators or whatever like most people don't know who i guess dave rubin is or they definitely don't know about like stefan molyneux or some of the people who have in his show who we'll talk about later but either way i think one of the things you touched on is that there's this perception that the left and definitely the liberal left is like this it rushes to i guess top but there's two there's two minds of it there's the sjw sjw types or like further left people who are like we got to cancel these people and shut them down and there are merits to that argument i'm not going to like litigate platforming at this point but on the liberal left i would say there is a rush to accept a lot of these figures people like jordan peterson are beloved by like malcolm gladwell or some of the you know liberal thought leaders more or less And there's this idea that, you know, tolerating their viewpoints or at least like not wanting to shut them down somehow makes you more even minded and it it makes you appear neutral. And when people try to stifle, I guess, right wing YouTube or get people people's channels shut down, even if it's someone as heinous as Alex Jones, who was shut down, there was an outcry on kind of both sides that was saying, you know, this is the end of free speech or how dare they? I mean, arguments like this, I think we've said before, are kind of out of context because YouTube is a private company at the end of the day. They are a private company that disseminates a disproportionately large amount of media in our world. But at the end of the day, they are still a private company. They can basically take down anyone they want. And you don't have like a right to, to YouTube. I mean, they're not like a public utility or anything. And I guess when the when YouTube itself cracks down, it tends to fuck it up really badly, as we will get into. It's at frequent with the most recent purge of, you know, 
supremacist, quote unquote, content, they wound up shutting down a lot of videos that were explainers about, you know, historical fascism or the Holocaust, because those channels explicitly say like the Holocaust or Nazis or fascists. But these YouTube far right people, they're not really out here using those terms because they're trying to ease people into these ideas. And most people, when they hear Nazis kind of recoil, but when people, when you phrase it in terms of debate or logic or science, then it's easier for people to get in. And they come up with all these euphemisms and ways to avoid saying the actual thing or what we would call the actual thing they're espousing is. And it kind of helps them fly under the radar to the point that when YouTube does crack down, it almost gets more stuff that's explainers about fascism or explainers about the far right than it does people who are actually trying to sway people to the far right. Because it's not like ISIS where they're putting up recruit, you know, explicit recruitment videos. That's easier to scrub than stuff that's like, I'm asking questions about why black people have lower IQs than white people. And there's also kind of a wide spectrum of this far right nonsense. And it crosses over to other platforms like Twitter or, you know, 4chan, 8chan, like just classic forums, I guess. And not everyone in this orbit is pro-Trump. Not everyone believes in QAnon. Not, not everyone, but most of them tend to be tied against, you know, the deep state or whatever that means, like the establishment. Definitely a lot of anti-woman stuff, anti-standard you know, standard liberals or like mainstream media stuff. There are elements that tie it together. And of course, the extreme like racism, Islamophobia, xenophobia, homophobia, sexism, etc. But... I think also YouTube as a platform provides a place where you can actually make money off of these videos, either by having ads in the in the content as like Dave Rubin or, you know, Ben Shapiro do or selling merchandise the way Steven Crowder does. And honestly, a lot of stuff they're saying is like banal, majoritarian, racist, sexist stuff that most people, when they hear it, are like, yeah, liberals are trying to t shut all this down. And I agree with it because you know, the audience, they know their audience, their audience are like self-satisfied people don't necessarily want to think about it and assume that, uh, you know, a white, like Western centric viewpoint is kind of standard and that everyone who doesn't see things that way is just trying to be annoying or pedantic. It also provides a place where, you know, people can't really interrupt you on your own YouTube video. If, if like you said, on Joe Rogan, you know, it's, I guess that at least is an interview, but a lot of these people are doing like hour long stuff of just them talking at the camera. I mean, you know, of course we're doing that here on the podcast, but we don't have as much content as these guys and we're not telling you to become, you know, racist or whatever on the podcast. Or if you draw that conclusion, it's the wrong one. Yeah, and as we'll go into later, the form of, you know, YouTube videos can be used for good and there are people making really great content on there to refute the ideas from these charlatan right-wingers. For sure. But either way, let's. Uh, we've, we've been mentioning a lot of the names without a lot of context. Definitely the reason this has been put on everyone's radar this month is Steven Crowder, who is Failed a... comedian alert. Right, and Canadian alert. A lot of these people are fucking Canadian. And I'm like, why do you they're, Why do you have to come down here and fuck up our shit and spread all this nonsense to our people? You can just do that shit in Canada. And I also am convinced that Canadian conservatives are somehow the dumbest ones. But Steven Crowder is a failed comedian. He's also formerly the voice of the brain on the PBS animated show Arthur. Interesting little thing there. I'm sure he's furious about the gay marriage. 
Oh my God. Yeah. I'm sure he's talked about it, but either way, um, he is, what are some of his greatest hits? I remember him writing an article about why it was better for him not to like have premarital sex and how he like looked down on other people who had had premarital sex and shit like that. You know, very cool stuff. I mean, there's like, you know, videos of him in a rice paddy hat with like, you know, uh, fake Asian eyes and buck teeth. Uh, very racist sort of content. He also uh, famously, <clears throat> one of his videos was a prank in which he picked up a bunch of Spanish-speaking day laborers and brought them to a immigration office and uh, watched them run away. Hilarious. Really funny content. There's also a video that he edited where he had been like harassing a pro union protester and he eventually had like apparently pushed this guy down, but he edited that part of the video out. So he just left in the part where the guy gets up and punches him in the face. Like pretty good. I mean, this guy is really laying into Steven Crowder and Steven Crowder has a very punchable face, I would say. And if you didn't already want to punch him based on this description, a video was posted this week of him literally forcing his staff to do the Pledge of Allegiance. And he says that he does it every day. He's fucking Canadian. Like, Pledge of Allegiance to your stupid maple leaf shit. Like, get the fuck out of our country. Honestly, like, they're not sending their best. But... Either way, uh, the the controversy that put him on everyone's radar is his beef with a reporter named Carlos Massa, who writes for Vox, among other publications. So he is a gay Latino man, and Steven Crowder sells shirts on them with, like, Che Guevara that say socialism is for fags, and he has very homophobic content. He has no qualms about using homophobic slurs. Obviously, he sells T-shirts with that shit on them, and... I guess he's frequently talked about Carlos Massa, who's a journalist who even, you know, I feel like I'm fairly plugged into this stuff and I have rarely, I hadn't heard of him very much before this. And he called, like he has a, Crowder has a specific beef with Massa. He would call him a quote unquote lispy queer and frequently mention him and get his followers of which Steven Crowder inexplicably has 3.9 million. He has 3.9 million subscribers on YouTube. Um, And he would get his people to like, harass him on all forms of social media so carlos massa kind of appealed to youtube and was like you know get this guy's shit off your platform it violates term of service he's doing coordinated attacks against me and he has all this homophobic content and dan you can go into like how much how youtube really waffled on whether or not it was going to ban steven crowder yes so they directed all the reporters to follow their twitter account which uh apparently it was usually just used for like you know tech helping people with tech issues uh to follow their twitter account in its responses to maza which like hour by hour would change from being like uh he's been demonetized but he just has to take down the one video and then actually he will continue to be demonetized until his co- like it was just this ho- horrendous this company is like google it's billions of dollars like it is owned by google right so they can't have like a pr uh, response to this that is you know this this was completely incoherent they don't want to alienate the millions of people who subscribe to Steven Crowder's d- dipshit YouTube channel. And I mean, the, in general, I think that 
these companies do not prioritize enforcing their terms of service. There was a huge article that came out today about how Facebook uses a third party, I guess, uh, contractors to in like a God forbidden location in like Tampa to filter out a lot of the content that doesn't stand up to Facebook's, uh, you know, I guess, terms of service. They are unable to prevent a lot of the stuff that violates the terms of service from not making it up on you on Facebook. But uh, it goes into like how little these people who do this horrific job get paid, how they have PTSD from seeing disgusting images or videos or content just daily. And it's clearly just not a priority for these companies. And like we said earlier, when they do enforce it, like the way YouTube did, they tend to fuck it up. But either way, uh, let's we can keep going with our list of YouTube offenders. We've got Ben Shapiro, who we've discussed on this show before, uh, the infamous like five six kid who tells you facts don't care about your feelings and who was written up in the new york times as quote unquote the cool kids philosopher but uh he is really just a grade a sophist who espouses pro western vaguely pro you know judeo-christian quote unquote ideology and is very islamophobic very racist towards black people and um couches all of it in like in terms of I'm logical and I'm smart and I'm just reasoning things out sort of the way, you know, I guess Dave Rubin or some of the people we talked about earlier do. Right. His whole thing is that I'm just like telling it like it is kind of, I feel like as an Orthodox Jew, he kind of uses that identity to say like, see, I understand like the left Obviously, he built himself up by doing these YouTube videos where it would be like Ben Shapiro destroys a 12-year-old at, at a college speech. I feel like he's never on a platform that's going to criticize him. And we saw how on this British TV show where this guy Andrew O'Neill... It was apparently basically like a neocon, like centrist guy. Um, ben, the second that Ben is criticized by Andrew Neil and asked to explain himself, he accuses Neil of being a leftist. Like, oh, this is like the fake news media, even though this is like the dry British press. Brutal what and I'm horrible. asking you is that why is it that a bill banning abortions after a woman has been pregnant for six weeks? is not a return to the dark ages. What's your answer? My answer is something called science. Human life exists at conception. It ought to be protected. Now, back to my question to you. You purport to be an objective journalist. BBC purports to be an objective down the middle network. It obviously is not, it never has been, and you as a journalist are proceeding to call one side of the political aisle ignorant, barbaric, and sending us back to the dark ages. Why don't you just say that you're on the left? Uh, is this so hard for you? Why can't you just be honest? <laughs> Mr. Seriously, Shapiro, I, it's a serious question. Mr. Shapiro, if you only knew how ridiculous that statement is, you wouldn't have said it. So let's move on. Yeah, and I actually will give credit where credit is due. British conservatives are the smartest conservatives between, you know, American, Canadian, Australian, and, you know, I guess, Anglophone or, yeah, what, Anglo-centric 
countries. They uh, <laughs> British conservatives are by far the smartest ones. They came up with the idea. They've been doing it the longest, and they hold their own. And this video, it's so funny because every time Ben Shapiro pulls like any of his usual fuckery, like answering a question with a question, basically, you know, oh, you asked me that, Andrew Neil, uh, are you a leftist? Because only a leftist would ask me that. Obviously, dodging the question, but every time he does it, Andrew Neil is like that. I'm interviewing you, bitch, and like frequently said, like laughs at him, just makes him look like a kid. And apparently, Ben Shapiro did like storm off the set at one point on like literally on BBC. It's so funny. Okay, so you're in a, you're a supposedly objective journalist calling policies with which you disagree barbaric and no, suggesting I, only one side of the political aisle no. has ideas. So I just want to point the, out that, no, I, know that I wish, you would, I, I wish I, you would at least be honest in your own uh, bias. Mr. So Shapiro, are, are, are I know you, are you a member of the in America is now so polarized that on one program you only have the left and another one you just have the right. My job well, is to question those who have strong views and put an alternative to them. If you were an anti-abortion person, I would be putting pro-abortion questions to you. But you are really, would an anti-abortion person. Really, would you call the pro-choice person. position? So, so, so why don't so you just answer you my question? Sir, sir, I'm happy to answer your question. Please you answer this one. Would you, suggest, would you suggest that a late-term abortion is brutal? I'm not taking a is view on this issue. I'm asking late-term you the questions. But uh, some of other Ben Shapiro's other greatest hits, he thinks it's reasonable for the Western Judeo-Christian countries, quote unquote, to colonize global South countries because the global South countries were inferior to those Western countries and they're better off now that they've been colonized. Um, when, there's a fucking amazing video in which he claims that if sea levels rise and millions of people who live on coastlines are threatened, they would just sell their houses and move. So let's say, let's say for the of argument that all of the water levels around the world rise by, by let's say five feet over the next hundred years say ten feet by the next hundred years and it puts all the low-lying areas on the coast underwater right which let, let's say all of that happens you think that people aren't going to just sell their homes and move obviously like neglecting the question who the fuck are they going to sell them to <laughs> i don't know i'm just like i'm just thinking like that instantly makes me think of like when I watched the Gasland documentary and the people on the fracked land, like, yeah, their houses were instantly worth dog shit. Right. But either way, the cool kids philosopher doesn't care about things like basic logic. There are some hilarious videos on YouTube, like from the Majority Report or some of the other, I guess, new left YouTube stuff that we'll talk about later on, where they just basically pull up out all, all the ad hominem arguments he makes and straw men he puts up. And that's really their, all their, their whole shtick is they just do bad logic. Another good example of a person who does this is fucking Stefan Molyneux, who is definitely more towards like the race science side of things. He's another Canadian. He's obsessed with Charles Murray, who wrote The Bell Curve, which famously argues that the stratification in society that breaks down on racial lines is not due to any kind of oppression perpetrated by white people against non-white people. It's because of natural differences of in IQ across these, you know, the spectrum. So that it basically is, insinuates that the reason, you know, black countries were colonized or, you know, black people were enslaved is because they have lower IQs and they were just not able to fend off the white people or something. And, uh, Charles Murray himself was obsessed with eugenics and apparently famously was, uh, lamented the fact that Nazis had ruined race science for everybody else or eugenics. And um, 
Either way, yeah, Stefan Molyneux is one of these people who's like, I just want to start a debate. And the debate I want to start about is why it's okay to be racist. God, there's so many damn Canadians. It's true. And we got to mention daddy here, Jordan B. Peterson. I want to say one last thing about Molyneux was I watched like 40 minutes of while I was doing like busy work today. And I was I was afraid to leave the YouTube, the window open on my computer for people to see walking by. Because I didn't want somehow some fucking, you know, 40-year-old guy to walk past my desk and be like, oh, you're a Molyneux head, too? And I'd just be like, no, no, no! No, no, totally. I was on the Metro, and I was, like, watching one of the ones you sent me, which was, like, Molyneux talking to Jordan Peterson. And I was like, God forbid if someone sees this, because I'm, I'm like, an average, uh, you know, masculine displaying white man. I mean, they're... (laughs) Like, people are just going to assume I'm sincerely watching it. Sort of like how when I was walked in on watching Loquisha for the last episode, <laughs> it was worse than being caught watching, like, the most disgusting porn. Uh, Yeah, but this video I watched about the wage gap, and, you know, it's just Molyneux basically saying all the problems you have with capitalism, it's not capitalism's fault. It's not the, like, concentration of wealth upward. It's literally just the feminist sjws and the immigrants and like that was his whole premise just said in circular ways and i I made it like a while into video and i was like i think i get this guy's whole thing now it's just your garden variety race science but he presents you know he's just looking into the camera you know he's got a kind of an accent so it's like authoritative if you're like kind of just susceptible to I don't know, just having, like, that sort of a video open. And nobody's, cut, like I said earlier, no one's interrupting him. Like, when I watched the, uh, uh, the my first Stefan Molyneux video, as soon as he brought up the bell curve, I, like, shouted and paused it because I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, I can't listen to something like this. But, I mean, no one, I'm not in the video. Like, no one is cutting him off and being like, whoa, 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 whoa here, buddy. He gets to just, I mean, these videos are like over, some of them are like hours long and it's just them talking at you. And if you're, you know, receptive to this and you're not presented with an alternative voice saying why what they're saying is wrong or, you know, factually incorrect, then they, you know, they they just go unchecked on this platform for sure. So, so but don't you see... I anticipate someone listening to this and thinking like, well, you know, that's the right, then the left, and that's free speech. So the left is able to say what they want too, like us, uh, you know, on our platform get to speak uninterrupted and that's free speech, that's America. But the sort of race science rhetoric has like a cost, you know, it negatively, it adversely affects people's lives in a like a very real way no i think that this definitely has like real consequences and i guess when it comes down to it also there is more i guess funding and more like institutional and structural support for these kinds of viewpoints than challenging these viewpoints i mean we do live in a white supremacist patriarchal country that has really subjugated, I guess, a lot of the rest of the world to its kind of viewpoint and to white supremacy. And they're saying things that people already agree with, even if they don't want to, you know, say that they agree with them, basically, which doesn't make them right. It means that they're just 
taking a, a viewpoint that's very easy relatively to defend and doesn't require a lot of people to change their minds because a lot of people unfortunately do already think this way yeah and with that let's shift into our daddy jordan peterson yes jordan b peterson i think everyone listening to this has a friend or a family member who earnestly loves jordan peterson absolutely i mean people on the left and right fawn over the guy especially you know in the more i guess like uncritical mainstream publications that you know Malcolm Gladwell or David Brooks or these other people who also in a weird way said that they are like non-ideological and fetishize that kind of non-ideological neutral stance. They all love this guy. And if you try to watch a Jordan Peterson video or read what he writes, like God help if you can understand it, it makes no fucking sense. He borrows from so many unrelated disciplines, talks about so many unrelated things, and has such kind of like what you said about Stefan Molyneux, where he was taking these convoluted arguments to basically just say, blame people who are, you know, women, immigrants, people of color, or black people for all your problems. Like he's taking a very circular way to say that. That's sort of what Jordan Peterson does too. Jordan Peterson's whole thing is that these Jungian archetypes that are innate to us are actually the best, you know, the, the hero saves the princess sort of shit, that those stories are like written on mankind and are like, the that the, that's what true meaning for humanity is and that when we try to subvert those classic narratives then we are destroying ourselves basically and again just sort of arguing like to people like no the stuff that you have accepted up to this point is all still correct regardless of what you know the left wingers are telling you and peterson at the end of the day more than some of these other guys i think just doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about Apparently, during the debate against Zizek, Slavo Zizek, the philosopher, obviously, um, he Peterson apparently admitted he hadn't even read the Communist Manifesto. And the debate was Marxism versus capitalism. <laughs> like, and Slavoj Zizek is a Marxist anarchist. Like, he and he's an actual academic. Unlike. You know, Jordan Peterson's credentials are also like suspect and a lot. His writing, if you like, there have been plenty of, I, I don't know, other academics who have like criticized his, you know, intellectual rigor, if you will. Yeah. And to boil it down, I think like uh, a really good way to think of Peterson's like incoherence is how he lumps together the words postmodern and neo Marxism. Because inherently right. they are not compatible at all. Like, and it's analogous to how the sort of all these alt light, alt right figures lumped together, like the center left with like the, you know, Antifa, like far left. Like to them, that's all the same. Yeah, it's very much an us versus everybody ideology. So this idea that neo-Marxism, which to, to my understanding is kind of like a, a, a sort of politic, a, a system that's really based on like empathy versus like post-modernism, which is kind of based on like not caring about anything or knowing anything in the universe. Now I know I'm like really boiling these things down to very like simple like uh, ideas, but don't you see how like those two things are incompatible? 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, Marxism, the whole point is that there is one grand narrative for the development of humanity and society. And postmodernism, the idea is that you cannot form any grand narrative about society. So clearly, Peterson is just saying, like, it's just everyone I disagree with is this long word. And a lot of people, when they hear big words and verbose explanations, they're like, wow, that guy must be very smart. And I think that's what happens with Jordan Peterson and honestly, a lot of people on this list. But um one person who is like frighteningly direct and more effective than I, I think either of those people is Dennis Prager and Prager U, which is his YouTube channel, which has 2.1 million subscribers. And it's mostly like these very direct kind of explainer, almost like infographic laden videos that tell you about right wing theory and why they believe in you know, just basically and pedantically breaking down like why they, I guess, uh, what, taking apart leftist narratives using whatever, you know, bizarre calculus that they use. And they're very dry and boring, I think, to a lot of people. But I think for people who are sympathetic to these ideas, it makes this make a lot of sense to them. And it gives them talking points that they can use. And if you're these people are arguing with people who have not watched any explainer video for why you should not be racist, etc., they are, find themselves at a loss to, I guess combat just the the quick and ready narratives that D the prager university provides them and it's not to say that the prager u videos are intention are very smart they're just easily digestible and concise and they do i mean to a degree are effectively articulate a lot of these arguments and then these arguments are widely accepted frequently by like liberal people and that, that I think it's one of the most dangerous ones on the list, and I'm very glad that I guess, I guess as we're going to get into, there are like left wing alternatives to Prager U that are starting to pop up. I think the the scariest thing about Prager U is they have the money to have such good production value because clearly they have a big staff and like lighting and like you know stuff that someone without institutional backing who's just as worthy wouldn't have because i mean dennis prager is like a fucking legacy radio host conservative asshole yeah and i think he he gets coke money as well as some of the other people on this list so i mean it's not just him and his uh he's not entirely self-made there are people who have an interest in these ideas being disseminated so there's a short tour we could do a whole episode on any of those cretins but let's move on to i guess the big question why does this matter, right? Does it really matter if we're losing the debate to a bunch of 14-year-old, uh, you know, gamers? Does it, like, why does this matter? Well, this matters because people watch these videos, they get real radicalized, and then they start posting about killing a bunch of people, and then they act on those impulses. So... Notably, Alexandra Bissonnette, um, I, that's the most French I will uh, grace his name with, uh, went on a rampage at a Quebec City mosque and shot a ton of people. Later, he claimed that he wanted to save people from terrorists, and they confirmed that he had looked at the Twitter feeds of Trump and Ben Shapiro beforehand. And Ben Shapiro has plenty of videos talking about how Islam is an existential threat to the West and how, and, and I, th I think a lot of people correctly drew the line between what this guy was thinking and the things he said when he was interrogated and the, the fear mongering that Ben Shapiro does regularly. Yeah, uh, again, we saw it at the Pittsburgh Tree of Life synagogue shooting. 
And that shooter, 46-year-old Robert Bowers, killed 11 and injured six, and most of them were elderly uh, Jewish uh, congregants. And he apparently was acting on the theory that organizations like the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society like to bring invaders in that kill our people. So a pro-refugee group was the reason why Bowers killed these people. And, of course, he was a Ben Shapiro fan. Right, and that's a that's a common stereotype that's kind of specific, but this idea that, like, Jewish people uh, te- were are bringing in refugees or immigrants in order to dilute the white race and, you know, cause the fabled white genocide or the great replacement, which is when, you know, the idea that white people in the U.S. or in Western countries are being, I guess, replaced by non-white people. And in this case, you know, refugees and immigrants. And uh, there were a couple other synagogues. I mean, there was the guy who shot up the Poway synagogue, John T. Ernest, killed one person, injured three. And um, he had the same ideas about white genocide. He even shouted out Bowers and um, and another person, Brenton Tarrant, who committed the uh, shooting in Christchurch, New Zealand. That was made headlines definitely in New Zealand because it was the biggest massacre they'd ever seen but around the world uh this guy was a 28 year old Australian who killed 51 people at the Al Nur Mosque and Linwood Islamic Center in Christchurch New Zealand he injured another 49 he live streamed the attack on Facebook and even wrote a 75 page manifesto called the great replacement which again referred to these kind of white genocide ideas uh but he even just he denied being a Nazi instead he said it was kind of he was an ethno-nationalist which I'm, you know, you're a Nazi by any other name, but uh, or an eco-fascist. I believe people later disavowed him. Ben Shapiro was like, "Don't look at all about why he did what he did," and obviously because if you read his stuff, it's very compatible with what Ben Shapiro says daily. But I, I think the narrative on him has been that people said he was a left-wing environmental terrorist or something. Oh, we also had the guy in Dallas, Brian Clyde, who was you know and this was uh he like just opened fire i guess outside the courthouse in dallas and yeah, in downtown dallas when they looked at his facebook posts he had videos about the storm which obviously is a QAnon reference uh eco-fascism and neo-confederate imagery and anti-feminism so classic the standard stuff you hear from like a lot of right-wing uh youtube yeah, for sure. And um, it's funny also to me, the eco-fascism thing, I, you know, in a weird way, the far right is preparing for global warming more than, you know, liberals or conservatives or like the center broadly. I mean, they're preparing for it just in the, the worst way possible. Like they're prepared to, you know, massacre people who are trying to get into or, you know, refugees who are going to flee rising sea levels and all that shit or flee to the north like they clearly are just preparing for that moment and it's kind of terrifying it's true and i think we mentioned this one earlier because this was just like the most recent one so it's kind of on my mind a little bit uh inspired by paulway and Christchurch, we had ross anthony farka who plotted to kill jews i think at a synagogue And when officers searched his home in Concord, he had an assault rifle with 13 magazines, 
a three foot sword, camouflage <laughs> clothing, and you know he also had a Nazi uniform that he planned to carry out the attack with. And he was a fan of Red Ice, far right Swedish YouTuber. And he enjoyed posting on the gaming network Steam using the screen name Adolf Hitler and then the parentheses uh, 6 million. Yeah, classy guy. But um, it kind of, it just kind of illustrates all these people are, you know, young, except for uh, the guy who shot up, um, shot up Tree of Life, who was 46. But most of these people are like in their 20s or even, um, you know, John T. Ernest was 19, the guy who shot up the Poway Synagogue. And, uh, the, just goes to show, I mean, these people are impressionable, and obviously in the U.S., this is a very American story. It's very easy to get guns legitimately and stockpile them and prepare for, quote-unquote, the storm. But there's kind of staggering numbers regarding, like, how many people are at risk of being radicalized on YouTube and its connection to Gamergate. Um, YouTube has nearly 2 billion daily users. Most of them are young. Uh, 85% of U.S. teens used YouTube in 2018, according to Pew. Uh, It's by far the most popular online platform for people under 20. And... um, I mean, Facebook and Twitter, like, I think it's 51% of teens are on Facebook and 32% of teens on Twitter, just dwarfed by YouTube, truly. Uh, there was this, I, I remember reading that uh, European research group conducted a separate analysis of nearly 30,000 Twitter accounts affiliated with the far right. And it found that the accounts linked to YouTube more often than to any other site. So even when it bleeds over to other platforms like Twitter or Facebook, they're linking to YouTube videos, which, as we said, is an effective way to monetize and to you know publish all this content. But uh, I guess it also came up in the story about Caleb Kane, who's a recent sto- uh, person who was radicalized in his early 20s. And... Um, a uh, New York Times writer talked to him about how this had happened. The author pulled his YouTube history, which had a log of more than 12,000 videos and 2,500 search queries dating back to 2015. Uh, he classified it, did some media analysis by right-wing IDW and left-wing videos, IDW being the intellectual dark web what we described earlier. And um, after Trump's victory, basically this guy, Caleb, watched double the YouTube videos until later on he started discovering left-wing YouTube videos like um, Destiny, who's a popular channel. It's this guy, Stephen Bonnell, who does kind of gaming and also takes apart a lot of these like right-wing myths. And uh, also Natalie Wynn, who's probably the most prominent left-wing YouTube person. She's a, a trans woman who does videos. She's the Oscar Wilde of YouTube, and she publishes on the channel Contra Points. Yeah, and the story about Caleb Kane is interesting because it showed a real direct line from the sort of... I don't know, the, the way you can fall deep into this whole... Uh, as kind of an aimless video game person suddenly believing a lot of crazy shit because you watched a lot of right-wing content. And uh, this story uh, in the New York Times really interesting. Uh, it was The Making of a YouTube Radical by Kevin Roos. Definitely worth checking out for more detail about this specific instance uh, with graphs and shit. But I watched a video of Dave Rubin on Fox News very angry about this article and a lot of the 
like Ben Shapiro's and uh, you know, Jordan Peterson's of the world were furious about this article because they felt very like they felt very like angry that the frame is like, <laughs> you know, they grew um, radicalized and hateful by watching the right wing content. And then now that they found left wing YouTubers that like their you know their views are uh, more mainstream and like normal and human, and that that like Dave Rubin couldn't get into his mind that like that yeah maybe it's because the people you're putting on and the ideas that you are espousing uh, are actually like right wing radical you know hateful sort of things yeah he's been all like how could he have you know been saved by these left-wingers i'm a left-winger it's like well no you're not dude not by any meaningful measure so i I think caleb kane has he's since turned into kind of an advocate for you know de-radicalizing young people and he's come forward with his story and uh there was an interview with him where he said that in his opinion radicalization is a public health crisis and when asked like how he got out of his you know quote unquote alt right rabbit hole, he ba- said he pulled himself out because he started getting exposed to other ideas and he started to educate himself more on the problems and the issues and he also started to reach out and get emotional support from others. So instead of you know going entirely inward and watching a bunch of videos that tell you that the only way to deal with the you know, the ennui that you face today as a young man is to go and shoot up a bunch of innocent bystanders he like made a more mature decision and i think a lot of the we can like shout out some of the youtube channels that i guess are fighting this like rising tide of radicalization um as we mentioned you know contrapoints is a trans woman who does videos where she she's a former academic and she basically just takes apart a lot of these like right-wing myths she has episodes about incels she has one about jordan b peterson which is classic and um she also has videos more about about her journey as a trans woman she does makeup tutorials with other you know youtube celebrities and she has i think said that she doesn't want to only be known as a person who helps de-radicalize but she is very unique her videos i feel like I've never really seen anything like them. She has very lush sets and costumes, and she just very plainly and clearly breaks things down. And you'd think like, oh, how is a you know a, a trans woman who re- repeatedly calls herself like a d- degenerate and jokes about being everything that the alt right fears? You know, how is she gonna get through these people? But it's almost like she kind of comes across as exactly what they expect, and it has like a disarming effect. And a lot of like right wingers are willing to listen to her once they get over that initial you know whatever reaction they have and she just has i i've they're very direct they are sort of like an anti prager you video where they're just effective explainers of why right-wing ideas are bad why things are i mean we stole our discussion of jordan peterson our takedown of his like you know postmodern neo-marxism idea that's lifted dr- straight from contrapoints and she just e- clearly and easily breaks down stuff that's like pretty dense um for people who are younger and i guess just starting to think about these things and she provides an alternative argument and advocates the you know, advocates in the opposite direction of what all these other right-wingers are advocating for she's also like genuinely hilarious i find myself laughing out loud watching uh, natalie uh 
just do her thing with so many like wigs and costumes and like cutaways and like talking about like circumcision and she's cutting up a cucumber like it's just just it's really good stuff yeah she's the, in the jordan peterson episode she's like in a bathtub and taught like trying to seduce jordan peters like she buys into his whole uh you know in an ironic way buys into his whole daddy shtick and she really just kind of shows an empathy towards the all right without like accepting their ideas she kind of empathizes with the people who are susceptible to these ideas in a way where she kind of understands why they think the way they do and provides an an alternative to it and i mean i I just think she's brilliant and like you said hilarious but uh another person who is similar to her i think is uh i mentioned before destiny the uh guy steven bonnell where he'll just play like league of legends and stream it for people but then he'll be like clicking into another tab and talking about, I saw a video where he was talking about how Stefan Molyneux just displays no knowledge of how I guess deductive reasoning works in his book. And he's just like, again, able to kind of break down what seems like a sort of a dry topic, but make it funny and appealing to this demographic quickly and effectively. And I guess we have to mention the Young Turks, which I wouldn't call it like far left or anything. Uh, Young Turks, I feel like, is definitely a launching point for some really talented people like Hassan Piker, who he does a lot of like gaming. But also, like, I guess I kind of he got on my radar from his like uh, takedowns of like Tommy Laren. Uh, He's uh, he's really entertaining on Twitter, too. And then uh, Majority Report uh, is another show, uh, Sam Cedar, uh, amazing videos, uh, clips from the daily podcast radio show. Uh, and, you know, they break down all of these people we're talking about. They have dozens of videos on Dave Rubin, on Ben Shapiro, uh, you know, Sam Cedar, Michael Brooks, uh, Jamie Peck. Uh, they, they do a great job over there. Uh, I think also I've seen the majority report and Michael Brooks post more videos that are, I guess, direct responses to, you know, right wing YouTubers and I guess kind of not responding to them on their own terms, because when you in an argument like this, you don't need to convince Ben Shapiro. You need to convince the people who are going to watch a Ben Shapiro video because Ben Shapiro, no matter what, is going to advocate for his position and he's going because he's. That's how his business works. Whereas, like, the majority report, you're not supposed to convince him. You're supposed to convince someone who's watching his stuff and prevent present a more convincing argument. And I think that they do that successfully. And it also contrasts, I feel like it's more direct, It's a, and it's a contrast with, I guess, what was left-wing YouTube, like, prior to the current era, which is, I don't know, a ton of people sharing, like, Slevoj Zizek or, like, Murray Bookchin videos. Nobody wants to watch that, like, long, dry academic shit. I mean, people need to spice it up for the, you know, younger viewers or shorter attention spans that you find on the internet. And I think that's why it's effective for people like Hassan Piker or uh, Stephen Bonnell who kind of get people in with gaming but make it easy to see why, even if you're not like a, you know, a genius, you should just, you should know why. Uh, It's not hard to explain why all these people on right-wing YouTube are wrong and they're willing to, I guess, argue them 
and provide an alternative explanation. And another project on this, uh, you know, con- counter, I guess, uh, counter reformation that the right wing YouTubers are trying to do is Means TV, which is trying to start kind of a whole new, I guess, left wing platform to counter not just right wing YouTube, but also Netflix or uh, HBO, where like more mainstream TV channels that are inherently capitalist and exploitative and should be replaced by, I guess, you know, crowdfunded and like popularly supported left-wing content. And I, you know, they're, they're also putting up a ton of videos that are just like explainers of why people on the left believe what they believe. And providing that explanation is key to getting people to agree with us because the right wing has just so many of these videos explaining why they believe what they believe using all their flawed logic, but it's out there and people are being convinced by it. So we kind of have to get out there and provide an alternative explanation. And with that, I think we have done all we are able to do in one episode about this topic. I mean, right-wing YouTube, it's its pretty complicated. We read a lot of articles uh, about it, and, you know, we'll continue to keep an eye on this stuff on this show. Either way, that's like I said, we're just trying to provide an alternate explanation for why people are acting the way they're acting so that you don't necessarily have people walking around your lawn talking about the deep state. And with that, let's uh, let's go. Let's end this one. And Sam, any final thoughts on everything we've talked about today? Uh, do you feel that you are being shadow banned? <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the main reason that we don't have, you know, 10,000 followers each, just the shadow banning. I mean, to a degree there is like some genuine silencing of like I think it's way easier to be a right-wing you like commentator and make a living than it is to be a left-wing commentator. I'm like an actual left-wing, I don't mean like MSNBC or something like that because I mean, one of the podcasts we like, Street Fight Radio, was trying to do a live show in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the club owner of the venue they were going to play at wound up like rescinding their, you know, permission to perform because he looked into their, you know, their political views and saw that it was far left. And he's like, I don't agree with that and shut it down. And they were like, you know, Glenn Greenwald's on Tucker Carlson whining about how like Carlos Massa is, you know, asking YouTube to censor what's his name, Steven Crowder. But nobody reached out to Street Fighter Radio to ask them about why their views were censored. And they were literally like, it's not because they were using slurs or anything. It's literally just their political views. It's actually absolutely their ideas, which are not like violent, you know, beyond any kind of you know, nominal smashing the state kind of like entry level anarchist shit. They're not like really that like, I don't know, vicious or anything. They're kind of just two dads who joke about politics and they're, I mean, the club owner shut them down and nobody was asking them about their free speech or whatever. Yeah. It's a very selective sort of, uh, topics that are sort that are highlighted in the right wing media. Like, you know, they they uh, believe in cancel culture and in silencing people as much as any like SJW person that you know they can construe in their mind with like pink hair and uh, yeah. I I have little faith that YouTube 
has the tools or the desire to moderate this speech any better than it already has moderate these sort of insane videos uh, that espouse race science uh, that rack up millions of views uh, videos like Steven Crowder's terrible comedy that uh, you know causes other journalists to be harassed uh, relentlessly about their sexual orientation and race it's just it's just kind of ridiculous but YouTube's not gonna get any better and that's where we're gonna end it no, I mean, I think it just comes down to we need to, you know, we need to de- to debate and argue these ideas, but we don't need to argue with the people who are spreading the ideas. We need to put our arguments out into the world for other people to see. And I think ours are more convincing and, you know, more reasonable to most people than the far rights. So I think it is a winnable battle at the end of the day, even though YouTube, the company is going to pull all of its usual fuckery. All right. At plunge underscore podcast at spaventacular for me at wag stank for Sam. And that'll do it. And we'll see you soon. Thank you.